I mentioned the journals that we will be using during our services during this series, and one of the things that we are seeking to do is to continue to incorporate various practices into our services to kind of gain or, or gauge our minds and, and center our hearts around the things of God. And so what you will find in these journals, this resources, these resources that you will find is that each of our sermons will start with electio divina, which just simply means divine reading or holy reading, where we simply allow the scripture to slowly be read and that we concentrate and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you drawing my attention to? What are you wanting me to hear this morning? And to believe that God is moving and even in the reading and meditatively reading of his scripture, he can stir in us towards a truth that we need to hold on to. So we're going to practice before we jump into our messages each week. We're just simply going to use part of James, uh, maybe part of that we are teaching on, it might be another section of James, but we're going to take a portion of James, seek to read it twice, slowly, and to just simply pray to God, what do you have me to know in this? Uh, so what we're going to do is each of our... Uh, um, each of, our, each of our weeks in the journals will have that, will have a starting. So today is week number one in James, and so we're starting on page seven. So if you have a journal with you, it's page seven. If you don't have it, you just simply want to listen to the words, that's fine. They're not going to be on the screens. We want you to just listen to the words. On page seven is James chapter one, verses two through four. And if you have a pen with you or if you uh, can just kind of mark it up, and what we're asking you to do is listen to the scripture Read over it with me, uh, and then maybe circle a word, highlight a word, put a star next to it, underline it, somehow draw your attention, uh, to allow the Spirit of God to draw your attention to something in the Scripture here, and just simply ask the Spirit, what would you have me to know? What would you have me to know, to, fo to focus on, or to concentrate on from this passage? We'll start each of our sermons with just a couple of minutes of Lectio Divina, and li listen to the Scripture. And we'll, as we do that, I'm going to invite you to just a moment of just quiet reflection, just to quiet your heart to receive. Uh, we'll just take about 10 seconds, and don't worry about it. I'll take care of the time. I'll watch the time. You don't have to worry about it. We'll take about 10 seconds, take about uh, three or four breaths, and just simply quietly pray and ask the Spirit of God, what would you have me to hear this morning? What would you have me to hear? And then I'll read the passage, and then maybe you want to circle a word, underline a word, and then I'll read it again, and maybe you want to circle a different word or highlight that word somehow else, and then we're just going to sit quietly, and then Katerina will come and give the message for this morning. So let's take about 10 seconds and prepare to hear from God. From James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Good morning. My name is Katerina Hinkle. I'm a member of the church here. It's a pleasure to be with you and to share from God's word and to start off our series in James. Actually, uh, when I was invited to be part of this series at that time, over a month ago, I understood that I was going to preach somewhere from James 2, and I was like, yes! this is awesome, because I really love James 2. It's something that my husband and I talk about a lot. I was like, let me at it, which is probably why I'm not preaching from that this morning. So I found out instead I was preaching today from James 1, and I personally struggle with this passage. It's something, you know, that I'd rather just avoid. So I've decided that Pastor Brian just doesn't like me very much. So here I am, and I was forced into a very deep study of James 1, 2 to 8. I was like, all right, I guess I'll do this. And as we go along, you'll probably feel the tension in the scripture like I did. And if not, then why are you not up here? All right? Consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Do you see what I mean? (sighs) If there ever was a book in the Bible that brings hard reality and faith together, it's James. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. It It sounds like and it feels like an oxymoron. How can the words joy and trial even exist in the same sentence. And there's a paraphrase of the Bible, the message, Eugene Peterson wrote it, and he describes that Greek word uh, for joy as a sheer gift. Here you go. Here's your gift of a trial. Consider it pure joy. And we have to remember that James is a mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit, and he is giving us an exhortation from God himself, from Jesus. And, but in my opinion, this command does not appear to be based on logical thinking, and it's not within human capacity. It's expecting way too much of us. Exactly. Aren't trials by their very definition in the realm of what is difficult and harmful and destructive, unwelcome? Don't they fall into the camp of what is unwanted and circumstances that do not bring joy? There's no card in Hallmark that says, congratulations on your trial. And then inside, consider it pure joy 
with little rainbows and hearts. No. So this passage is a good example of when we use the good study tools that God has given us so that we can understand his teaching. So we start with the verb consider, and it's commonly translated as a command. In the Greek, the verb is a pure ingressive of an aortist imperative. And this is why not everyone studies Greek, because it's a lot. But I point that out because it's very specific. Greek is very specific. And the verb consider is a command, but here the stress is on the beginning of the action, and the context makes it clear that it's not a momentary action. So really, you could paraphrase consider as begin to consider. And I'm like, oh, well, I could do that, maybe. I can begin to consider it pure joy in my trial. And I really see that as God's grace. Right away at the beginning of the passage, we see God's grace and patience. <clears throat> we also see this concept of transformation and growth that should characterize a Christian who is trusting Jesus in daily life. Because if the Christian life, if our lives as Christians doesn't look any different from the people beside us who don't trust Jesus, then what are we doing here? Why are you here on a Sunday morning? If we don't go through a trial differently, then what is Jesus doing for us? What is our trust in him for? And how are we changed? Consider it pure joy. Okay, it's not just consider, but pure joy. And this is where I trip up. Now, most theologians and pastors make the distinction here between joy and happiness. Certainly, we're not happy, happy when we're in a trial. But we can maintain our joy in Christ. And in this context, joy appears to be an ongoing decision rather than an emotion. It's an ongoing decision to trust in Jesus and not so much an emotion. Our joy can be exercised in difficult trials, just like our faith and our trust are exercised. And I wish the author James has elaborated with a nice footnote or three clear points about why he chose the word joy here. Why not consider it a growth opportunity? Consider it an opportunity to trust Jesus. But joy, really? The only reason why I believe James, other than the fact that it's in scripture, which we can trust, is because I've witnessed this joy in the past two years. So around January of 22, my sister Tamara noticed that she had lost her appetite. And she's a very fit person. She eats like a horse. She is just like all about the kale and the beans and all of that. But she had lost her appetite, so it was very unusual for her. And she was bloated, just oddly, like not come and go, but consistently. And so she made an appointment. And yes, she learned that she had two very large, I mean this size, very large malignant tumors in her ovaries. And she would require surgery and cancer treatment. So you can imagine the tailspin that that sends you in on top of 
all the pain that you're in already. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So one early morning, as my sister does almost every day, she went for a walk in her neighborhood, and it's still dark because it's Canada and it's winter, and you have about this much time of sunlight in the days. So as she was walking, she was thinking about Jesus and how Jesus walked with his disciples. So just that picture of walking and Jesus walking with them and how he did life with them and how amazing that was that they had Jesus present alongside them. And on that very stretch of road where she was pondering this and how that must have felt as a disciple at that time, she sensed someone beside her. And she looked. There was no one there. And then again, you know how you get that feeling? Like even if you're in your bed and you sense that someone's entered the bedroom to say goodnight or whatever it is. It's often the cat in my case. But she sensed it again. And she's like, she's had this presence. No one is there. No one was on that street with her, but she knew she was not alone. She believed Jesus was walking with her, and she took away that experience, and then she went on back to all the decisions and the news and the appointments that were bombarding her day after day. And soon after, being her habit, she went on another walk with her husband this time, same neighborhood, and they're trudging along, you know, in those cold winter morning. And this time, she saw God's servants walking with them, a small group beside them, around them, with them. She was astounded. Can you imagine? Like, I, even as I'm saying it, I'm like re-believing it. It's just amazing. And she was so comforted by their nearness, and she received that message from God, I am walking with you. Now, my sister and her husband, they're fervent believers of Christ, and their trust in Jesus, I mean, it was there before they knew anything, before she had any symptoms, and right through the symptoms, and then the diagnosis, and then all the treatments, that trust continued all the way through pain, fear, agonizing. So the question is, did they consider it pure joy? So we're going to move ahead and come back to that question. Verse 3 is answering What's going on in verse 2? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So as we move from verse 2 to 3, we begin to see the wisdom of what James is writing here. 
trials of many kinds. So what's happening right there in this author's time, this is the brother of Jesus, most commonly accepted. It's not James the apostle because he had already been martyred. So what was happening is he's writing this as they're being martyred, severe persecution, but we understand that he is referring to all kinds of trials because he literally says trials of many kinds. So we can go through persecution for our faith. We can also receive a really tough diagnosis like my sister. We might be facing financial hardship. There are many kinds of trials, difficulty in a relationship. And James is exhorting us Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Why should I do that? Why is it actually wise to do that? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I firmly believe this, again, because it's commanded in Scripture, which I can trust, and I've seen myself go through this and people that I love. When our faith is tested through a trial and we persist in trusting God, and that is key, perseverance grows. So in his teaching, joy, trials, testing of our faith, perseverance, this really makes me think of a pressure cooker or a greenhouse. Both apply here. It's like a trial is an environment for growth. And while our trial may not be orchestrated by God, certainly the breaking and the growth that happens in such a period of pressure come from Him. If we remain steadfast and stay focused on Him, that is why we can have pure joy. Because we know the character and power and faithfulness of our God. We can consider it joy because that joy is born out of who God is. He's unchanging. Jesus is gentle and kind and forgiving and merciful. He's gracious and loving and for us. And that is so important. When we're in a trial, we can begin to feel like, I'm abandoned. God has forgotten me. What about me? We can feel so lost, and he is for us. He never leaves or forsakes us. He literally is walking with us. Now we circle back to my sister. So in the first weeks of her diagnosis, there was considerable spread of fluid in her abdomen in response to these tumors. And she also had, we found out through the surgery, um, cancer had spread up to her abdomen. Ab in her abdomen, she had tumors. And so she needed to be drained regularly. And they said, come in if it gets too out of hand. I'm like, oh my goodness, the fact that it's happening, like it's already gone too far. And so it's called, um, if you're in the medical industry, ascites or ascites. Yep, okay. So it started, it wasn't just here, but it started to circle around her back, like having a tube, you know, around her. And so she and her husband went to the ER to have her abdomen drained. And you can imagine that when you have to have your abdomen drained, it's a very long, very large needle. 
it, the fluid has to be able to go through it. And they use ultrasound to see what's going on inside so that they don't hit something that's critical and cause even further damage. It's a very delicate procedure, and my sister was watching the doctor and the technician looking at the screen and then, and then looking and making sure they're getting this right. And the night that all this happened is the same night that I arrived in Ottawa, to Ontario, that is. She's in Canada, not the Ottawa that's like down the road, which would be awesome, but no, we're very far apart. And we haven't seen each other in so long because of COVID. So yes, we've been communicating through technology, but not in person. And this reunion was not what we had hoped for. We were supposed to like run through the fields, you know, and be so happy to see each other, but now she had cancer. And this was, this was our situation for our reunion. And her husband had gone to get her because he picked me up at the airport, brought me home, and then went back to the hospital to pick her up. And I was just sitting there in the living room. It's dark, again, because it's always dark in Canada in the winter. And um, I didn't know what to anticipate. Like, now, were we going to collapse in tears holding each other? It just wasn't, again, the reunion we had envisioned. Now, she had cancer. And I didn't know what to say or how to act. And so, of course, we'd had a lot of tears and crying and prayers over the phone, but now I'm there and she's literally coming from the hospital. She is like in the depths of what she's living through. And she comes in, and I don't even have time to get off the couch. She comes in and stands in the middle of the living room like this. And she's like, oh, we just have no idea, Katerina. God is with us. God is so near. We just don't even know. He is all around us. He is right here. And I was like, whoa, this is unexpected. And what had happened is she's in that room, in the medical room, with the technician and the doctor, watching them watch the screen and then they're trying to get the angle just right and you know um, insert the needle so it's not hitting anything and again she sees God's servants in the room around these practitioners and in specifically she sees a servant around the doctor so the doctor's doing this delicate procedure and there's an angel guiding him, telling him where to go. And she's amazed, and she's grateful, and she is filled with joy. And she comes back. We're not even having a conversation. She is just in the middle of the living room praising God, and I'm just like, I don't know what to make of this. That just would not be possible without God in her life, her trusting him, his grace in allowing her to see that. Verse 4 continues, James writes, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So not only do we receive perseverance through a trial, we also grow in maturity towards completeness even to the point of not lacking anything. 
And Peter echoes this. We see this elsewhere in Scripture. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice. That's what Tamara was doing in her living room. Was she going to have to go back and have that procedure done again? Yes. Was she cured? Not yet. Was she still going to face dark, dark days? Absolutely. But she greatly rejoiced. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And that is what's happening even this morning. God is glorified. He was glorified in that room. He is glorified every time I tell my sister's story because of his greatness and his mercy and his faithfulness. When we go through a trial, the genuineness of our faith is revealed. Again, in James chapter 5, he, re he himself repeats these truths, verses 10 and 11. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Amen. He is absolutely full of compassion and mercy every day. James does not say we count as blessed those who suffered through a trial. No, we count as blessed those who have persevered and we have a choice in this. The perseverance is their perseverance in pursuing God and trusting him. They do not throw in the towel because God is not doing what they want, them, want him to do. They don't forget God in the chaos of their trial. Instead, they remember, persist, persevere, and remember his great love for them. They persevere in trusting him. And at this juncture in the passage, we can start to feel afraid. Like, what if I don't have that trust? I can't be like that sister. What if I'm not able to persevere? And God in his goodness, in the very next verse, talks to us about our fears and our weaknesses and how he is going to take care of us. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So in our trial, we are invited, commanded even, to ask God for wisdom. Wisdom to know how to live and respond in our trials, certainly, but wisdom to gain God's perspective, to maintain the truths in our minds, hold fast to his truths, so we can, in fact, persevere and grow and mature. And we see God's goodness all through this verse. We learn that God is the giver. We're not left on our own to muster up positive thinking. Out of what? Emptiness? We're not left to check the horoscope every day or buy a self-help book. No, we have Almighty God of the universe generously giving wisdom to us in the midst of our trials. He is gracious at all times times it is his nature 
It is sure. Not only is God giving, but he gives generously. He's not holding back. And he does not find fault. He gives without reproach. And I found this quote as I was studying in the commentary series from InterVarsity Press. And the writers and editors, they say this, you may ask God for the wisdom you need without fear, for God gives without holding your failures or lack of wisdom against you. Amen. This is the assurance with which the Christian approaches God that God is not a harsh father who responds, who responds to our needs by reminding us of our faults. And so we have amazing promise in the midst of our trials that we can ask God for wisdom and he will grant that much needed wisdom. And we come to the final three verses of today's passage. So another point of tension, just when we think, yes, God is with me. He's going to give me wisdom. He gives generously. He doesn't hold my sins and my faults against me. And then we read this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Oh my goodness. And when I hear this, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I won't have enough faith that God will see my fear and my doubts and my prayers and my requests for wisdom will be neutralized. I'm afraid I won't be like my sister. She says to me every once in a while, what would you do if you were in my position? How would you respond? What do you think I should do? I'm, oh my goodness, Tamara, like I would be in bed sobbing with the blanket over my head and if people want to come see me, great, but I'm like just nothing. I'm not doing anything. I'm giving up. I'm stopping. Just bleh. And then Jason's like, no, you wouldn't. My sister's like, no, you wouldn't. And I'm like, yes, watch me. I just feel like God would look at me and go, hmm, yeah, nice try, Katerina, but not enough. And thank God, praise be to Jesus, this is a total misinterpretation of the passage. Absolutely, James is contrasting belief and doubt. But he's talking about something so much deeper than that. He's not talking about the fears and the nagging thoughts that swirl around in our minds when we're in the chaos of trial. Our God is a gracious God. He understands that we are but dust. He understands our frailty and our weakness. James is warning us about being double-minded, and this involves what theologians call soul condition of unbelief. And I'm referring back to that same commentary series. Listen to this quote. Double-minded means a double-souled person, a person whose heart's loyalties are divided, a person who has not decided to give his or her love to God. The doubt, then, is a vacillation between self-reliance and God-reliance. This person is not looking to God from a stance of faith, and for this person, there is no promise that God will give wisdom. The instability of this vacillating person is captured in the vivid imagery of the unstable sea wave, and this image stands in contrast to the perseverance in 1.3. The testing of faith develops perseverance, but doubt as a root unbelief, makes a person unstable. 
Do I have doubts? Absolutely. Do I believe God? Do I pursue him? Do I endeavor and push and ask to trust him? Absolutely. In our trials, as we seek God, we must trust him. It's the very foundation of our relationship with him. If we start our prayers by, if you're out there, or if you can hear me, absolutely he can. It's hardly a position of trust if we are not giving and surrendering ourselves to him. We can make a show of all the right prayers, all the right Christianese, choose all the right scriptures, but if we just walk away and start to rely on ourselves and respond through revenge or gossip or any other self-serving path, how can we even be a receptacle for God's wisdom? Because God's wisdom is out of his nature, and if we're not ready to receive his wisdom and surrender ourselves and humble ourselves, then why would he give it to us? We're not even ready for it. We're not even willing to receive what it would require of us. So my sister's experience with Jesus, from my observation, is in direct contrast to that image of the waves that James is giving in 6 to 8. Unlike waves that rise and fall as the wind blows, my sister's prayers and her husband's prayers were like a shooting arrow straight to Jesus. No wavering. And to this day, they continue to rely on God. Do, do they have a long-standing solution? Will the cancer come back? Does she wake up every day wondering if that twinge is a reoccurrence? Shooting arrow to Jesus, relying on him through her trial. Every morning she, there was a really dark time where every morning she would wake up and that first thoughts would be, oh yeah, I have cancer. Oh yeah, I can't get out of this. How do I get out of this? I can't get out of this. What do I do? Where do I go? Oh Jesus, Jesus. And she's laying in her bed in the dark and praying and gripping on to him. And she feels her husband come and sit on the bed. And there's that decompression on her bed. And then he gets up and goes and she looks. No one is there. It's not her husband. And she sees the servant of God praying. And she says, what is that? Because she sees the prayers from that servant rising to heaven because she doesn't know how to pray. Even in our lostness, Jesus is there. And he sent a servant to pray for her. And she says, what is that? And she received the answer, prayers, their tongues rising to heaven. And she just fell out of bed on her knees beside the bed and prayed. Oh, Jesus, you're with me. And so she didn't have all the answers. And she feels lost. And she feels bereft. Absolutely. But like an arrow to heaven, she is not waves going this way and that way. She knows her God. And she follows him 
And this can only be possible because her deep and rich foundation in Christ. And I have seen in the last two years incredible perseverance, incredible growth. She doesn't even know the influence she's having on people. She's sharing her faith with her coworkers, with her neighbors. She doesn't care. She couldn't care less who they are. Well, I, that came out wrong. She cares deeply who they are. Whether they're Christians, non-Christians, she is giving testimony to the greatness of God and his deep presence and that he is with us and he is near us. The kingdom of God is within us and that's what she's living. And if you're like me, you're thinking, but why? Why doesn't God show up like that for everyone? Why? Why doesn't he do that for every believer? We all know someone in our life who is going through a trial or you've gone through a trial. And why isn't he doing that for you or for your friends and family like he's doing for my sister? I don't know. But I do know he is the same God. He doesn't love my sister any more than he loves you and those around you. We are his beloved and he knows what is best for us and what we need. And the fact that my sister is blessed with such a tangible experience is his grace and his mercy. And we don't pursue him and trust him because we're trying to make him act a certain way. Maybe if I pray this way, he'll heal me. We pursue him and rely on him because of who he is, and because he is seriously, absolutely our only hope. He's our only source of wisdom. And both when we're in a trial and not in a trial, we trust him. We fill our minds with the truth of who God is and who we are according to him. And the thing that I love about our church and Pastor Brian's teaching is that we learn about the spiritual disciplines. And it's so easy just to like, whatever, that's fine. I'll do it someday. But it absolutely keeps us close to Jesus and teaches us who he is and enables us to persevere in trial. And I wish to remind us this morning of certain disciplines that sustain us through trial. Reading scripture, memorizing scripture, studying scripture, and talking to God. You know, that's so basic. Yes, and we're still not doing it. Read scripture memorize scripture, study scripture, and talk to God. I want to share in closing two passages, or not two passages, two examples of what I do in a trial. And I found these to be super helpful. And I thought I would just share vulnerably the things that I do. I write a gratitude journal. I've heard this for years. I thought, oh, that's so hokey. Like, how could that ever help? But when I started going through, like, trials then I'm like, they say this works. So I get out, and I write three things every day what I'm grateful for. Thank you, Jesus, for green grass. Thank you, Jesus, for my cat. Thank you, Jesus, for my car so I can get to work. And that focuses my mind on God and his goodness and his blessings and everything, every day, just countless blessings it takes my mind off the trial, which can just enslave me. And my whole being is just ruined 
focusing on my trial and what I wish were different instead of focusing on God and his goodness and that he is walking with me. And the second practice is something that I do, again, in a trial, when that my mind is churning and churning and churning. I'm reliving conversations. Oh, what, I could have said better. And it's just darkness and negativity and condemning. And one time I was driving up to Canada with my family, which is 11 hours away, to see my sister. And it's mostly dark, because we often go in the winter time. And that stretch between Windsor and Toronto, six hours of nothingness, windmills. And so there I am with my head against the window looking out and just negative over and over and over. And I'm like, no, I refuse. I refuse. This, this is not lovely. This is not true. This is not right. This is not how I wish to spend my thought life. I am going to throw myself on Jesus. I am going to trust him and I refuse to be captured and enslaved by this trial. No more. I'm giving no more of myself to this. And I sat there. My family didn't know this was going on. And for miles and miles and miles endlessly, Jesus, you are good. Jesus, you are kind. You are with me. You are beautiful. I am your beloved daughter. You care for me. You came for me. You saved me, and I did that until I was free, endlessly. I was like, that's the battle. We're just driving on that road to Toronto, and I'm doing battle in my soul, and that's what it takes for me. And it may sound super basic. Yes, that's what I need. I need basic writing, praying. Now it's your turn. I would not be able to do this if I didn't know scripture. And so we need actual change. It's time for you to begin to consider what God is, how God is moving you forward and to remember his truth. So if you grabbed a journal this morning, look at the end of the sermon notes. There's a box. And that's a place where you can write a word or a phrase to take home with you for this coming week. And it can be anything. It can be a song during worship. It can be part of my message. Maybe someone said something to you as you walked in. You're like, that's just what I needed. That is the Holy Spirit. That other person doesn't know what's going on in your life. They don't know the depths of what you're experiencing. Maybe it was something that Pastor Brian read in Lectio Divina. Anything that caught your attention, the Holy Spirit is moving you forward to maturity and completeness. Ask God to continue speaking to you about what you write there. And if you didn't grab a journal, text yourself. Put this somewhere on a receipt. I don't care, a napkin in your purse or whatever you carry in your wallet. Somewhere where you will see it this week and ask God to move you forward in trusting him. We're just going to take some time right now to write and reflect. Jesus, we desperately need you. We need you in every way. We need your wisdom. We need you to transform us, to change us, so that we can begin to think and trust like you think and trust on your truths. Your very nature is to be generous and kind and loving 
and we desperately need you. We need your grace this morning so that we can be transformed and take another step in trusting you and seeing what you see in our trials, in our circumstances. We trust you. We, we know the testimony of the people in the Bible. We know the testimony of people who know you today, like Tamara, that you are near. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. You are near. You are kind. You're gracious. Your compassion never fails. We give you praise this morning. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.